First part of session 93. Here we're going to talk about the nature of polarity mostly. And at the end of this episode, we're going to dip our toes into the catalyst of mind, Tarot. Let's begin. In the previous session, we discussed at great length the potentiator of mind, which is the study of the Tarot. And in this particular session, we're going to uh, journey into the exploration of the catalyst. Uh, my only refresher here today is to say that um, there is a linearity in terms of how they studied or be began to study the tarot, which was starting with card number one, which is the matrix of the mind. Then in the last session, we explore the potentiator of the mind, which is card number two, and now we're going to get into card number three. However, at the beginning of this session, we're going to discuss the nature of polarity, which I think is very helpful. And that's going to be that. Um, fun fact about this session, this recording, uh, of today. I'm recording this on January 15 of 2024 because as you know I like to record things ahead of time just because that's how I like to do things and today marks the 43 year anniversary of the law of one or the raw material um, and yes that's that. Um, just wanted to mention I don't think I have anything else to remind you, but we're just, we're just gonna start with the questions that we have, which is usually the first one that I cover. And here we have Don asking the same question of the beginning. Could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? Ross says the physical complex distortions of this instrument far more closely approach what you might call the zero mark. That is the instrument while having no native physical energy is not nearly so far in physical energy deficit distortions. The vital energy distortions are somewhat, somewhat strengthen, strengthened since the last asking. So we have the physical complex distortions um, are pretty much depleted and um, not sure what raw means by while well, having no native physical energy is not nearly so far in physical energy deficit deficit distortions i really don't know what that means because they just stated that she has basically zero energy and yet it is not not so much in the physical energy deficit distortions I pass on that. <laughs> the vital energy distortions are someone, somewhat strengthened since the last asking, so they have increased. Uh, this wasn't... Um, it's no different than, than before. Oh, another fun fact I forgot to mention about this session. This session is from August 18, 1982, four days before I was born. So between session 93 and, sh and session 94, which was about a week, more than a week after, 
I was born. So, yay. Let's move to the next question. Question number two. Don says, what is the position and condition of our fifth density negatively oriented visitor? Which by now, you know, it's the negative entity that was uh, pestering them. Ross says, this entity is with this group, but in a quiescent state due to some bafflement as to the appropriate method of enlarging upon its chosen task. So I won't elaborate much here, but um, the state of this fifth density negative entity was of just quiet, still inactive. Basically, that's what quiescent means here. Uh, and the reason why it was like that, it was because it was baffled. It didn't know how to act or react to anything that he could offer or she could offer or that could offer to the group because they just kept working towards uh, alleviation, of course, of any of these temptations or just uh, meeting head on the catalyst that was coming through them and there was nothing that the entity could take advantage of. That's how I interpret this. And that's it. It's, it wasn't bothering them, so to speak. Question three, Don says, thank you. The foundation of our present illusion we have stated previously to be the concept of polarity. I would ask that since we have defined the two polarities as service to others and service to self, is there a more complete or eloquent or enlightening definition or any more information that we don't have at this time on the two ends of the poles that would give us the better insight into the nature of polarity itself. So here we go, the nature of polarity. Ross says, it is unlikely that there is a more pithy or eloquent description of the polarities of third density than service to others and service to self, due to the nature of the mind-body-spirit complexes distortions towards perceiving concepts relating to philosophy in terms of ethics or activity. However, we might consider the polarities using slightly variant terms. In this way, a possible enrich enrichment of insight might be achieved for some. So, first, apologies for those who read the, uh, the slideshow that I have, which has the same quotes within quotes, should be single quotes there. My friend and uh, critic of grammar would have pointed that out in Spanish because he is that keen of an observant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I missed that. In any case, um, we're talking about here first establishing what polarity is in terms of service to self and service to others. We know that polarity is usually seen as positive and negative. Um, and this is, this is fine. I think the word is cathode and anode. I may be wrong in the second one. Anode, is it? I don't want to look it up. But then again, we're talking about we're talking about polarity. But in terms of service to others and service to self, is there a more descriptive term? Is Don asking? And so Ross says that it's unlikely that 
such a description exists or that they can think I guess um, I, I, I could actually put this more into perspective by saying that prior to the veil there was no service to self right and there was only uh, service service to the one I would say right and so there was no nobody else to serve but the one through different methods of course but it wasn't very intense and so after the veil the service became very intense but it also gave birth to the service to self polarity which wasn't really intended as far as I understand even though uh, it was possible but it wasn't the intention of the veil uh, so that's that's a new concept it's novel now um, they say the nature of the mind-body-spirit complexes distortion towards perceiving concepts relating to philosophy in terms of ethics or activity. This is important because we shouldn't confuse uh, service to self and service to others or the positive and negative path with any other polarity. For example, when we talk about moral polarity, which is good and evil, um, correct and incorrect these are moral polarities that we establish as uh, let's say humans or culturally and so on that's why it's it varies so much and you know why we may agree that I don't know women can vote you know it's a kind of moral polarity <laughs> you know um, and so we we go beyond that and we say oh you know what um, this is, and I think this is still present in some cultures where women don't have the right to vote. I may be wrong, or maybe it was finally abolished at, uh, at some point during this past decade or past two decades. You know, there's so many polarities that exist in in our reality. But when we talk about when we talk about service to self and service to others, although it kind of resembles moral polarity a little bit. It's not, it's ethical. It's how you behave in terms of the creation. What is your attitude towards creation? And I, I like to see this as, did you see yourself, you, yourself, and act as a separate individual or as a, uh, the one, as how, how this knowledge of yourself as unity uh, informs your behavior you see and that's basically what the positive path is um, it's to allow this knowledge of you the real you being the one creator to inform your reality that's it it's very simple this is not complicated we go into comp complex uh, definitions as metaphysical and spiritual evolutions and so on only because we like to do that <laughs> uh, but in the most foundational sense when we talk about service to others we're just talking about allowing that which is through us to be what it wants to be and that is the biggest service why you're serving the one and by serving the one, you're not serving yourself. That's a, that's a key distinction here, because one might say, well, if you're serving 
uh, yourself, then you're serving the one self, which is true because there is no other service but service to the one. But you're thinking that you, that's the misconception, that you are a limited being, that you are um, a fragment of reality that uh, needs to control the universe, basically. And I've talked about how this shows up not only in human form as you begin to control bigger and bigger populations. Um, we can see this with uh, monarchies and um, governments or empires and republics and so on. All of this um, creates the idea, you know, the illusion of power over others. And then when we transcend the um, the service to self polarity and we go into fourth and fifth and sixth density negative we sort of um, enhance this power over others and this gets very complicated in terms of metaphysics and so on but that's what happens until eventually that expansion of power reaches a limit of I cannot control anything anymore everything is just this one being you know, and I am that one being, so my polarity dissolves and everything's fine. Um, but yeah, the service to, um, to self is that avenue, if you will. And then on the positive one, it's just recognizing that, no, there is nothing I need to control. Uh, everything is being uh, fed to me by this all-being uh, intelligence that wants to manifest in a specific way. And so that manifestation is what I call me. You see, it's that ripple in the ocean that recognizes, oh, I'm not independent from the ocean. I'm just the activity of the ocean might as well go with the flow. And so that to me is the definition of service to self, service to others, uh, negative path, positive path in terms of ethics because it's a matter of how do you behave what is your behavior and your attitude towards the creation and others of course when you talk about the creation you include everything and that behavior dictates your polarity spiritually and so they say that they're going to explain uh, polarities in a different way and this way it will enrich the um, the understanding of this. Ra says, one might consider the polarities with the literal nature enjoyed by the physical polarity of the magnet, the negative and positive, with their electrical characteristics, may be seen to be just as in the physical sense. It is to be noted in this context that it is quite impossible to judge the polarity of an act or an entity just as it is impossible to judge the relative goodness of the negative and positive poles of the magnet. Another method of viewing polarities might involve the concept of radiation absorption. That which is positive is radiant, that which is negative is absorbent. So that's another way of looking. You see, we are very fast to attribute evil to the negative polarity. And I would caution against that because that is creating a sort of polarized self, you know, 
And I'm, talk I'm not talking about spiritual or ethical polarized being, but a morally polarized being that can become uh, an obstacle. I'm not saying, of course, that there is um, there is evil <laughs> in good actions that um, kind of uh, expose evil, right? That's happening in our world. It's a very subtle distinction that we have to make here. We're talking about the transcendent being. We're not talking about what could be better for the planet. Uh, that's a sort of third density work, third chakra activation. You know, how do we order society in a way that is um, better with the world? And that's fine. You know, I have nothing against that, and I'm I'm very careful not to sound that way because it, this is where it gets very tricky. And so in Chinese philosophy, we can see the discussion between, uh, the supposed discussion between uh, Lao Tse and Confucius, who has, Confucius has this moral behavior. It's a beautiful philosophy, you know, morality uh, and how people conduct themselves, just like Plato had a sort of uh, morality towards society. And yet, comes Lao Tzu, you know, a transcendent being, or at least a representation of it, and mocks Confucius to say, no, your virtue is not virtue at all, because it is polarized, you see? It is saying that this is the right way to do things, this is the good way, uh, and by that you're creating evil, because you have to create a sort of side. So this is the kind of distinction that I'm making here, that it's important to keep in mind because, again, you cannot see the service to self as evil. Yes, within the structure of our third density human society, it is, um, it is almost synonymous with, uh, with evil because of the things that they do. But in the grand scheme of things, right, in the transcendent view of reality, Ah, that's where we need to make the distinction and say, from a certain point of view that is much more elevated in terms of perspective, uh, of view, cos cosmological view, it is fine. It is neither good nor bad. It is as it is, period. Okay, so that is why Ra says, they, they give the example of the magnet you know, there's a positive charge, a negative charge, and it's it's causing work. Without the positive or the negative, none of them could do any work. And so because the two are present, then we have work. And in this context, they say, it is quite impossible to judge the polarity of an act or an entity, just as it is impossible to judge the relative goodness or of the negative and positive poles of the magnet. Very simple, very simple. Uh, did it, this is a view, and it does bring uh, a sort of peace. You see a liberation in your mind. I know you can sense this because it is, it, it's, it's something that just stands out as we understand that there is no way to be polarized morally that would not create another side, you see. Uh, so, again, it's a very, very important distinction. And we all need to go through this process. Uh, 
There is no other way. We all need to go through this process. Uh, we've all seen good and evil. I would even dare to say at this point uh, that suggest actually that you consider that good and evil is an individual thing. It is not a collective one. When it becomes collective, it can become very toxic. I think good and evil must be something that is individual. We all have our own view on it and that's it. If it so happens that it matches other people, then we are in resonance and we act in, in a communal way. Uh, but I don't depend on other people to validate the goodness of what I think it is or what it's not. I don't need that. Um, that's just my own view. And it's always challenge. It is always challenge because there is not one good thing that we used to do a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, that is right now considered uh, the same. It's always been relative, let's say. Whereas the view that everything is always in balance, everything is perfect always, has been a view that is correct. That is the correct view. But I'm talking about morality, what we think is good and bad. Uh, there's always been something that changes that. Very important to keep that in mind. Okay, let's move to the next question. Don says, now if I understand correctly, prior to the veil veiling process, the electrical polarities, the polarities of radiation and absorption, all existed in some part of the creation. But the service to other service to self polarity that we are familiar with had not evolved and only showed up after the veiling process as an addition to the list of possible polarities, you might say, that could be made in the creation. Is this correct? Ross says, no. A little bit to the side of my slide. Don says, would you correct me on that? Ross says, the description of polarity as service to self and service to others from the beginning of our creation dwelled within the architecture of the primal logos. Before the veiling process, the impact of actions taken by mind-body spirits upon their consciousness consciousnesses, plural, was not palpable to a significant enough degree to allow the expression of this polarity to be significantly useful. So, um, Don is asking, in essence, which is a conclusion that we can all you know, make based on what we, we know so far, that the service to self polarity was not present in the creation, yes? Uh, and so, while it, it is true that it wasn't expressed, it was there in potential, you see? Um, that's the key. So, it's like it was there, but there was no feasible way for it to manifest, right? The potential uh, service to self was there in the banks of the mind, in and in the resources of the mind, but the structure, right, the archetypical mind that existed back then without veil could not potentiate this. And that's because we had a conscious understanding of what everybody was. So it's almost like we're in a game and we can play and play and have no um, morality that will increment or intensify the, the fruit of our actions. So we're in a game, we're playing, and we know it's a game. 
However, if we were to invest ourselves in a game, and I think in sports this happens a lot, where people get too invested with the player, um, and I'm talking about audience even, <laughs> the audience gets too invested in their teams and players and so on. And so they live these emotions based on a game. Uh, so a sort of uh, veil is going on there. Uh, fun fact, I was recently uh, sending, some of you may know or may not, Geography Now. It's a very popular channel here on YouTube. And I reached out to, to them because they're coming up with the episode of my country, Venezuela. And I was collecting some information to, uh, to give to them because they like to go over culture and all of this stuff. And so one of the things that I found, which was very interesting, is that Spanish cultures, they all tend to have a very strong rivalry between countries, but even within their own countries, like clubs, and we're talking about football here, uh, or soccer, as it is said, <laughs> um, in the English-speaking uh, people, but some of you know that it's football. Um, so in any case, there is a huge rivalry here, and people can go, you know, to blows and uh, to have a very strong argument against it. Like, they get really worked up like this. Um, they get invested, you see. And they bring out a character that is not truly them. It's a very competitive and hateful uh, attitude towards the other just because they like the other team. Um, however, in my country, such a thing doesn't exist. I argue because we're not very good at football. <laughs> we're nuts. So we have nothing to boast about um, or even defend. But also, uh, there is actually something cultural in my country, which I don't know why it's like that. Maybe it's just a candid, uh, joyful expression of the Venezuelan, which is very known in the world, um, that we, we don't take rivalries to... Um, uh, too too serious at least in sports because there is a baseball we produce a good amount of uh, baseball players and uh, there is a huge rivalry decades long between two teams uh, Leones and Magallanes right and so these two baseball teams they have a huge rivalry and so the uh, the supporters the fans they can go into um, very heated, you know, uh, arguments, but it's also, it's more teasing than anything. And at the end of the game, they're both friends, they hang out, they drink together, and they just mock each other, you know, for losing or whatever they did. And it, it's just a way to joke. We like to joke about everything. We can joke about anything, um, which is, can be seen a little bit uh, too harsh sometimes in this society now, especially with this culture that is very sensitive. But that's the case, you see, and so we can say that we don't have a veil <laughs> in terms of sports. That's what used to happen. I mean, the potential is there. We could potentially go to, and I'm sure, you know, some people, there's always uh, the exception. But yeah, um, we, I'm going to use this very poor analogy to say that we represent that no veil process, uh, no veiling uh, conditions, I mean. And then, you know, those who go into very heated rivalries, they have a sort of veil that 
veils, you know, there's themselves from that character that they're playing. So yeah, um, the description of polarity as service to self and service to others from the beginning of our creation dwelled within the architectural architecture of the primal logos. It was there, you know, the potential was there. Before the veiling process, the impact of actions taken by mind-body-spirits, not mind-body-spirit mind complexes, um, upon their consciousness was not palpable to a significant enough degree to allow the expression of this polarity to be significantly useful. So, yeah, it was there. They just didn't use it. They, find, they found no use. Uh, and, of course, it was all a game. They knew it from the beginning. And then Ra finishes saying, over the period of what you would call time, this expression of polarity did indeed work to alter the biases of mind-body-spirits so that they might eventually be harvested. The veiling process made that polarity far more effective. Um, so it seems like some uh, people were able over a period of time Yes, we're going to use the word time. Um, this expression of polarity did work to alter the biases of mind, body, spirit so that they might eventually be harvested. Um, so how that happened, I'm not sure, but it seems to have happened, right? That this polarity sort of worked so other mind, body, spirits um, were able to be harvested. Yet it was very, very slow. And so the veiling process made the polarity far more effective. So it was there. The polarity was there. It was just not in use and uh, not to a significant degree, it seems. So some mind-body-spirits did eventually uh, harvest themselves through that. But I, I cannot imagine this was not described in in the material. I wish Don would have asked more questions about this, but I don't think we have any any material on on this. But we have question six. Don says in question six, I might make the analogy then in that when a polarization in the atmosphere occurs to create thunderstorms, lightning and much activity this more vivid experience could be likened to the polarization in consciousness which creates the more vivid experience. Would this be appropriate? Ross says, there is shallowness to this analogy in that one entity's attention might be focused upon a storm for the duration of the storm. However, the storm producing conditions are not constant, whereas the polarizing conditions are constant. Given this disclaimer, we may agree with your analogy. So this one is hard for me to unpack and expand. Um, Ross says that there is a shallowness to this analogy. This is the thunderstorm, right? That would, yeah, thunderstorms, lightning, you know, because there is polarization in the atmosphere. There's charged particles of both positive and negative, And so it creates a sort of uh, movement, right? And so experience, I, I kind of like this analogy, actually, you know, the, ex the vivid experience of, you know, how active, like look at a peaceful sky, just the sun there, no clouds, everything's fine. There's no activity, there's just peace. That's why a lot of people like sunny days. See, it's just there, nothing's happening. It's just 
wow, I could just stay there and be calm. And then when there's a storm, people may not like that because there's a lot of activity and you know it's randomness and chaos and all kind of commotions happening. Um, so that's more vivid. I, I like this because there's more polarization. So I don't know why it's shallow from Ross's point of view. Um, they say in that one entity's attention might be focused upon a storm for the duration of the storm. Okay, so we might get distracted with the storm or just focus on the storm. However, the storm producing conditions are not constant. Okay, so maybe they're just trying to describe the fact that, um, right, a storm uh, needs some conditions to happen, but I think that was the point of the analogy. I don't know, I think I'm done here. Um, the polarizing conditions are constant here. So they agree with his analogy, they just wanted to induce a little bit more of a um, permanent sort of um, conditions for the activity. Maybe that's it. I don't know, it seems more philosophical than um, truthful. I like Don's analogy. Next question, question seven, Don says, with the third tarot card, we're gonna go into the, the tarot here. With the third tarot card, we come to the first edition of archetypes after the veiling process, as I understand it. And I am assuming that this third archetype is, shall I say, loaded in a way so as to create, if possible, polarization, since that seems to be one of the primary objectives of this particular logos in the evolutionary process. Am I in any way correct on this? Ross says, before we reply to your query, we ask your patience as we must needs examine the mind complex of this instrument in order that we might attempt to move the left manual appendage of the instrument. If we are not able to effect some relief from pain, we shall take our leave. Please have patience while we do that, which is appropriate. And then there's a 30 second pause and Ra says, I am Ra, there will be, there will continue to be pain flares. However, the critical portion of the intense pain has been alleviated by repositioning. Your supposition is correct. So this is correct um, just for the sake of historical uh, events. Uh, Carla was experiencing a pain flare and Ra had to move her hand. Remember, Carla wasn't there, or at least the conscious uh, mind-body-spirit complex of the instrument which is just intelligent energy. So this is a good point to in the session to mention this. Everything that we see is intelligent energy, right? It's the one creator, the whole creation, space and energy, or matter if you want to call it that. All of it is intelligent energy. Even space is energy. We have known this for over a hundred years because Tesla found this. And so even space is energy. It's just so neatly packed that allows for um, this chaotic, so to speak, energy to move and interact. You know, this, um, what should I call it? Disturbed energy, right? Which is, uh, I would call it love light. It's just moving and it's, uh, uh, it cannot stay still, right? That, that's the activity. Um, so 
you can see even polarity here you know stillness and movement so this intelligent energy the body of Carla was intelligent energy so they called it an instrument now when the mind body spirit that represented Carla was in there then the body acted like Carla or what we know as Carla when it wasn't at least through the law of one transmission then it was raw using the mechanical parts of if you want to call it that the intelligent energy of Carla and they weren't very um, skillful as of course would be a mind-body-spirit complex in the body because that's what this whole illusion was designed for for a mind-body-spirit complex to be inhabiting the uh, this um, this vehicle this instrument so they weren't because they were operating from higher intelligence otherwise they would have to sacrifice all of these resources to be able to manipulate the body as Carla would or a mind-body-spirit complex would so that's the trade-off you know, they were able to transmit very pure information and yet have very little control of Carla or the body let's just call it that so what they did was reposition the hand so basically what would take you a fraction of a second to say oh this hurts oh, let me stretch it or let me move it this way it would took it took them seconds 30 seconds or so right uh, for anybody who is interested in this take notes um, okay so what was right now that I went through all of this um, Don is now talking about the third tarot card which is the catalyst of mind which is of course again the purpose of this session so Don says that uh, he assumes that this third archetype is loaded in a way so as to create polarization if it's possible since that seems to be one of the primary objectives of this particular logos and so yes it is correct that um, the, the catalyst is supposed to produce polarization that's precisely its purpose and I'm going to sum up the whole process in a bit but let's go to the next question now that things are fine question 8 Don says there seems to be no large hint of polarity in this drawing except for the possible coloration of the many cups in the wheel part of them are colored black and part of the cup is white would this indicate that each experience has within it a possible negative or positive use of that experience that is randomly generated by this seeming wheel of fortune Ross says your supposition is thoughtful however it is based upon an addition to the concept complex which is astrological in origin therefore we request that you retain the concept of polarity but release the cups from their stricture form the element you deal with is not in motion in its original form but is indeed the abiding sun which from the spirit shines in protection over all catalysts available from the beginning of complexity to the discerning mind-body-spirit complex Woo! what did Ross say here <laughs> um, okay so uh, the very important hint for anybody who studies the tarot uh, in the law of one 
Remember that we're talking about, I'm, I'm going to check this as I, um, as I find this. Yes, let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, can I take a look at the cards here? Yeah, I'm going to show you in the PDF that I have. Um, I think this was the original, right? This is why there, there's such a discrepancy. I'll show you if you are on YouTube. Um, where did I go? No, I don't want this. I want this. Okay. So this is the Spanish version. Um, never mind that. Just look at the cards. You will see that uh, this right here is what we're talking about. It's number three, Roman numeros. And there were some cups, it seems. Let's zoom into this. There were some cups. I think these were the cups. They look flowers to me. Um, and yeah, so the this is the original cards that they were they were looking at, and it I think those are the cups. I don't see the uh, the the light and the dark or whatever Don said, but that's that's it. This is the card, you know. In contrast with say, let me change this. Do I have it? I don't think I have it here. Um, in any case, you can look at the card. I'll put it up here. I'll remember to smash it there. Uh, take note of that. Yep. So look at this card now, if you're on YouTube, of course, and you can see that there was um, there, there's a difference. And that's what they're talking about here. They change it. I don't know if they use another, I think they use another deck that reflects that better. And that's what they're talking about here. So um, in essence, just to, to get to, um, to the easy part of this interpretation. Yeah, this is why we need like a specific uh, course on, on the Tarot, which I'm not willing to do, but people should. Uh, motivate or inspire themselves. Those who study the Tarot eventually will do it. Uh, we'll wait for them. <laughs> Don't wait for me to do it. Uh, but in any case, let's describe this. Uh, Don is talking about that original image that had cups and he said those are representative of polarity, period. Ra said, uh, release those cups because they weren't present in the original card. Uh, but retain the idea of polarity. And so the idea of polarity is um, that it's present in the catalyst. In every catalyst that we encounter, there is the possibility of polarity. Or yes, of looking at the polarized parts of what catalyst is bringing. Um, and so they, they substituted or returned it to the original uh, form, which was the sun. What's in the sun? It wasn't the sun. It was the radiance part of the sun, right? It says, it shines in protection over all catalysts available from the beginning of complexity to the discerning mind-body-spirit complex. So the way I understand this is that all catalysts, just like in car number two, remember we saw the pillars and the pillars have the Ankh or the Crux Ansata. 
and that is representative of the creator not being a respecter of polarity it doesn't care it acts on positive and negative because the creator is experiencing itself it cares not about ego or the separate self it will do what it wants um, that's it you know there is no morality there the creator has no morality morality is created in the illusion of separation so where am I going with all of this is that in car number three this aspect I see the same aspect here which is that what does the Sun represent the Sun is uh, the the nature of the Creator manifested as one being right that's what the Sun represents it's an intense consciousness it's the light of being and so it radiates over polarity it doesn't care you know it's there protecting catalyst um, that's how I see it it doesn't have uh, a choice or a yes um, a decision made upon you know which one it's just there you know shining light upon both uh, to see that catalyst is there it's only for the individual to take hold of the polarity that is being presented so the element you deal with is not in motion in its original form right um, the cups were not in motion whereas the Sun was uh, which is the spirit it shines in protection over all catalysts available from the beginning of complexity to the discerning mind-body-spirit complex what else do they say indeed you may rather find polarity expressed firstly by the many opportunities offered in the material illusion which is imagined by the not white and not dark square upon which the entity of the image is seated secondly upon the position of that seated entity it does not mean opportunity straight on but glances off to one side or another so again if we analyze the image we look at um, the different aspects that exist uh, and I'm showing here the um, the the regular one right whereas um, I think in the other one I don't have both right here let me look at the other one because this is this is importante where is the Toro study here you are so I think there is a difference in the box right where it's seated both has the polarities or the black and white I don't know this is why I don't I'm not keen in studying this uh, this imagery but let's go back to what we were talking about yeah that was was not very helpful <laughs> um, but okay Ra says that uh, you may find polarity uh, first in the many opportunities offered in the material illusion which is in imaged not imagine I think I said imagine which is imaged by the not white and not dark square upon which the entity of the image is seated so firstly we have polarity in the illusion right so it's always there everything can be taken for positive or negative um, that's the first thing secondly upon the position of the seated entity uh, it does not mean opportunity straight but glances off to one side or another 
So the position of the entity seating there on the box is sideways. So it glances upon the opportunity from one side or another. I guess that describes the um, the nature that we look at things either, you can either see them as positive or negative, not both, right? That's what I think it says here in my very shallow interpretation. Um, so there is polarity there too, not only in what is being presented that we can choose, but also in the way we see it. There's only one way of seeing it. Now, um, I'm going to discuss something that I think it's important after I read this last part. Ross says, in the image, you will note a suggestion that the offering of the illusion will often seem to suggest the opportunities lying upon the left-hand path, or as you might refer it more simply, the service to self path. This is a portion of the nature of the catalyst of the mind. Um, this is beautiful, actually. You will notice a suggestion that the offering of the illusion will often seem to suggest the opportunities lying upon the left-hand path. So the illusion is is emphasizing separation, right? That's what Ra is saying here. The image suggests that the offering of the illusion will often seem to suggest the opportunities lying upon the left-hand path, the service itself path. And they say that this is a portion of the nature of the catalyst of the mind. So, there's so much we can say here, and I'll try to sum up my thoughts. So Ra is implying here that the nature of this illusion is to offer the suggestion of separation, right? That's what a catalyst is always bringing. Let's analyze what this means in terms of philosophy and then in terms of practice or practical experience, direct experience, which is what I'm concerned with. So we have this, um, this structure of the illusion, right? We know philosophically through the law of one that third density was built, third density after the veil, is built on the idea that there is separation. The separation is real. So everything that we see, all catalysts that we perceive emphasizes this. It emphasizes the nature of separation. You see, this is why catalysts and experience were not present prior to the veil, because there was no way to take seriously the perception of separation. There was full knowledge of connectivity. Whereas now it has become, you know, the mystic path. It is so rare to look at the universe at creation from unity that it has become something for a fragment of a percentage in the population of the world historically and even now. What I mean by this is that not everybody is attracted to seeing and living this life through the lens of unity which implies the positive path, the path of the adept. Well, the adept can also be negative, but you know what I mean. And so this is important because it, it is true 
we look at reality and say, yes, what's being reinforced is the path of separation. And so people buy into it. And because of that, we have such a vivid experience, you see? Uh, which means then that catalyst is only present when it challenges our, uh, our senses, our uh, sense perceptions. It challenges our view of unity, you see? And so this is why we talk about the spiritual path of evolution being healing and integrating and viewing things always in the light of love and not uh, separation or division and so on because that's what this illusion is reinforcing so you know it can be seen daunting can be seen daunting by some people to see that oh, everything has to be so uh, realistic in terms of separation but for those who are in the path would say bring it on you know because i will i have the light of truth in my hand uh, so to speak and i can shine this light to anything that comes through so that's why i emphasize over and over again um, know the truth of yourself and you will be able to shine light on upon anything that's the mystical path so yeah, I think that's very, very important. Um, I could say many more things about this, but uh, I, I guess the last thing that I have to say is that um, catalyst is only necessary for um, when it's challenging, right? It's necessary for the unenlightened, to those who cannot process catalyst properly, um, because they don't know. They don't know who they are. They don't know what is true. And so they need to be presented with choice, you see? And so Catalyst is always present there. Um, and I, I'm referring to who, it's just the un, to the unenlightened parts of the mind. So we don't talk about individuals. That sounds very judgmental. So there are unenlightened portions of our minds that need to be presented with Catalyst. Let me put it that way. That works better. Okay, let me move on. Question nine, Don says, the feet of the entity seem to be on an unstable platform that is dark to the rear and light to the front. And I am guessing that possibly this indicates that the entity standing on this could sway in either direction, toward the left or the right-hand path. Is this in any way correct? Uh, Ross says, this is most perceptive. And again, let me take a quick look. Yeah, in both images, there is a, a sort of crescent moon in at the bottom. That's what Don is talking about. Not much to say here. Question 10, Don says, the bird, I am guessing, might be a messenger. The two paths depicted by the position of the wings bring in catalysts which could be used to polarize on either path. Is this in any way correct? Ross says, it is a correct perception that the position of the winged creature is significant. The more correct perception of this entity and its significance is the realization that the mind-body-spirit complex is having made contact with its potentiated self, now beginning its flight towards that great logos, which is that which is sought by the entity. Mm, beautiful. So... 
uh, it, it not only seems that is right what um, what Don says the two paths being depicted by the position of the wings okay that's a beautiful perception um, so I guess yeah bringing catalyst which could be used to polarize on either path but also what it represents remember uh, I think messenger is fine I always see the the bird as representing uh, the spirit right did Ross say this here haven't made content I don't think they said it I just see it as spirit and spirit yes spirit can be that messenger um, spirit can be that messenger in any case what's important for practical purposes here is that we're looking at the linearity of the process in the archetypical mind uh, we look at matrix and potentiator working together to produce catalyst right they that interaction produces catalyst which it's the matrix reaching out to the potentiator and then something comes up which is perceived as catalyst and so uh, the significator is going to say hmm okay I see this positive or negatively um, that's what Ra is saying here the more correct perception of this entity the, the bird and its significance is the realization that the mind-body-spirit complex is is having made contact with its potentiated self so they're talking about this dynamic between matrix and potentiator it has already done that now beginning its flight towards that great logos which is that which is sought by the adept so again this is a successful um, use of catalyst we we're not talking about just catalyst being uh, there and not process when it is processed then that flight takes um, takes place and it represents the entity reaching um, becoming more this logos which is what is seeking what is the logos the creator and it's looking for that creator so again in practic practical terms this means that once matrix of the mind has consciously looked for potentiation then catalyst will come up and if it's processed correctly then it will produce a sort of direction towards that end positive or negative so uh, i find that it's important to make that distinction that this is catalyst that is properly processed that's what i see here otherwise there is no fly towards the great logos uh, everybody's being presented with catalysts every day but not everybody seems to be flying towards that great logos because they're not adepts they're not into this uh, path so everything that we go through it's like an acceleration of this evolution process by uh, submitting yourself to the the harshness of catalyst because catalyst is always challenging you if it is met with resistance of course if it's not then catalyst is unnecessary you see it's just part of you okay so more to say here Ross says further the nature of the winged creature is echoed both by the female holding it and the symbol of the female upon which the figures feet rest 
That is the nature of the catalyst is overwhelm overwhelmingly <laughs> overwhelmingly of an unconsciousness coming from that which is not the mind and which has no connection with the intellect, as you call it, which precedes or is concomitant with catalytic action. Uh, this is getting even more intricate. Um, but it's not difficult to understand. So, the nature of the winged creature is echoed both by the female holding it, that's the, I think it's the high priestess, I may be wrong there, um, but it's a female figure in the card, right? So that represents the feminine principle. Um, and then also the symbol upon which the, the feet rests, and that is the crescent moon, which again, moon is feminine. Uh, and so they say that the nature, the nature of catalyst is overwhelmingly of an unconsciousness coming from that which is not of the mind and which has no connection with the intellect. That's a tricky wording because we're talking about the catalyst of the mind. So maybe it's coming from the spirit, right? So catalyst is coming somehow from the spirit or are they talking about the conscious mind? I'm not sure there. So one thing I can say for sure is that, yes, catalyst is not something that we're uh, consciously seeking, but that reaches out to us and say, oh, that's new, you know. Um, I like to say that just for, again, practical purposes, if you are in the present moment, if you're just simply uh, flowing with life and you're not in your mind, right? You're not living the story that your mind is repeating to you. You have began to disallow those stories to be what drives your your being right there is basically no no catalyst in the present moment there is always catalyst when the mind gets involved with past and future you see so when you live that way um, there is the, the catalyst is not striking you but you have to be aware that you know you really are in the present moment you know and that involves getting uh, becoming very much aware of the conflict in your mind initially so it gets resolved so it's a very intricate process i have to say yes you know mind liberation is beyond the scope of this video uh, but it is you know the nature of what we're seeking here it's at the basis of what evolution is spiritual evolution that is so important to keep that in mind that in the present moment there is only peace there's only uh, the energy of the moment and it's fine you know it's when the mind gets involved and creates stories that creates all this commotion and uh, what is really happening you know it's the question that the mind asks the mind wants to know whereas consciousness already knows what's happening it just doesn't interact with the intellect right or at least it's not dependent on the intellect to know that's what catalyst is you know it's it's flowing from that unconsciousness from that female or feminine energy which is unconscious which is um it's not fabricated yet so all of this is it, it's relevant to keep in mind when studying this part of the archetypical mind.
Um, that's what Ra, to me, was saying here. Finally, they say, all uses of catalyst by the mind are those consciously applied to catalyst. Without conscious intent, the use of catalyst is never processed through mentation, ideation, and imagination. So you see, once again, all uses of catalyst by the mind are those consciously applied to catalyst. So you have to be, um, you have to use the mind without conscious intent. The use of catalyst is never processed through mentation, ideation, and imagination. You have to meet on, and this is why I said, you know, um, there is a, um, I forgot what they say, how they say it in English, but uh, yeah, spiritual bypassing is, um, it, it could be that, you know, I'm not facing my catalyst, everything is fine, you know, I don't need to, I'm in the present moment and so on. I, I say that you need to face this, whatever it's coming through, because it is there. You would be ignoring the present moment if you ignore what's being challenged in your mind. The distinction here is that there will be points in your life where uh, old catalyst will come to you and it would mean absolutely nothing, you see? And so at that point, then you know that you have transcended that, um, that doubt, that uh, ignorance, let's call it ignorance. Once you know it, ignorance of it cannot affect you or the effect of ignorance cannot affect you because you already know it. So you have to face all of it. Catalyst is, it can also be equated to ignorance. And I'm not talking about the pejorative use of ignorance here, but truth, you know, we we have a veil and we ignore so many things. And so catalyst will come as a product of ignorance to enlighten us, period. That's the way I see it. Catalyst is always coming through to shine light upon something. Well, whether we use it positive or negative, it'll create some sort of polarization. And that's why polarization is so present in this card. Uh, so again, as Ross said, all uses of catalysts by the mind are those consciously applied to catalysts. You have to consciously apply something. You have to make a decision. You have to see what it is. And so that's why a lot of catalysts goes unused by, let's just say the average people. Uh, and even us, well, how do we know if we're not constantly, you know, paying attention to what, how do I feel? How does this make me feel? How can I make it better? How can I make it more loving? You see, that's what I would say, conscious application of yourself to the present moment. So without conscious intent, the use of catalyst is never processed through mentation, ideation, and imagination. So all of these are useless if there is no conscious intent um, by the entity, of course. So yeah, there's a lot to be said here. Like I said, just studying the, the archetypical mind is uh, complicated enough. I think I'm gonna cover one more question. Let me just make sure that that won't leave a big gap. Um, yeah, let's cover one more and we'll call it, call it good, good for today. This is question 11. Don says, I would like if possible, an example of the activity we call 
catalyst of the mind in a particular individual undergoing this process. Could Ra give an example of that? Well, Ra says, all that assaults your senses is catalyst. We, in speaking, speaking to this support group through this instrument, offer catalyst. The configurations of each in the group of body offer catalyst through comfort, discomfort. In fact, all that is unprocessed that has come before the notice of a mind-body-spirit complex is catalyst. See? So this is just echoing what, just, what I just said before. Catalyst is anything that assaults your senses, period. Everything that is coming through is catalyst. So to give the example of uh, Ra talking to them is catalyst. They're offering catalyst. The configurations of each in the group of body offer catalyst through comfort, discomfort. So I guess, yeah, that, that's just another example. And then they say, all, uh, all that is unprocessed that has come before the notice of a mind-body-spirit complex is catalyst. Um, so anything that we have can be processed. And this is what I talked about, the unenlightened portions of the mind, which don't see things as, um, it's undecided, basically. It doesn't know how to see this. Again, it doesn't know, not in terms of attributing some sort of explanation or definition to it, but rather in terms of how does it integrate it within itself as positive or negative? How does it make use of catalyst? Because catalyst is just anything that's coming through. Um, so again, once you have processed a specific catalyst, then more of that catalyst can come. And because you are in knowledge, then ignorance cannot um, halt you, let's say. And so that catalyst becomes um, unnecessary in a way. Let's cover one more question. Why not? This should be fast. Um, question 12, Don says, Then presently we receive catalysts of the mind as we are aware of Ross communication, and we receive catalysts of the body as our body senses all of the inputs uh, to the body, as I understand it. But could Ra then describe catalyst of the spirit? And are we at this time receiving that catalyst also? And if not, could Ra give an example of that? So worded as this answer is, is pretty simple. Ra says, catalyst being processed by the body is catalyst for the body. Catalyst being processed by the mind is catalyst for the mind. Catalyst being processed by the spirit is catalyst for the spirit. An individual mind-body-spirit complex may use any catalyst which comes before its notice, be it through the body and its senses, or through mentation, or through any other highly developed source, which is spirit, and use this catalyst in its unique way to form an experience unique to it with its biases. Uh, so here's the description first of, well, catalyst for the body is catalyst for the body, catalyst for the mind for the mind, catalyst of the spirit is for the spirit. And so um, an individual that uses catalyst um, through any of the, of the complexes, may use this catalyst in its own unique way to form an experience 
unique to it with its own biases. So this is the what I would call the evolution of the entity as it transforms itself because it's using Catalyst to become something um, of some sort, right? Depending on what is its polarity of choice, it would produce itself as a being of identity, of self-identity, of individual identity, right? That's the negative path. Or it will become simply the channel for whatever the creation wants to do through it, right? Um, it's knowing that you're not a creature of nature, you're nature itself. If you believe that you are a creature of nature, then we go into the whole um, uh, survival, competitive type of scenario on Earth. We're all humans competing with each other for survival. <laughs> that is if you are a creature of nature. See the distinction here? The distinction is that if you are a creature um, that is nature, let me put it differently, you are what nature is doing. You're just what nature is doing. Then you are not different than nature, and of course not different than anybody else. You are nature, only that nature expresses in very specific ways. Air, earth, water, fire, then all the plants and animals, uh, all life forms, and then you. You're simply an extension of that, with the quality that you, nature, are aware of yourself. So you are Mother Gaia, if you want. Um, when people, you see, we, we see this duality, which is fine, you know, as an initial step in the mystical path, we see this duality between God and me. And to a very distinct degree, we look at it with uh, Mother Gaia, or Pachamama, as we call it in our countries, and me, you know, I am serving uh, Mother Gaia, but you are. Mother Gaia, if you want to see it that way. You're nature, you know. <laughs> You're like the earth talking to itself. <laughs> uh, that's the, the, the key distinction. So that individuality, that's what I call the individual self, which is not really you. It's just the expression of nature, of the universe, of the creator, whatever you want to call it. The expression of this which is happening, individual, is this. And that's it. I have taken no credit for anything that I do. It just happens. But we live in a society that likes to take credit and that's because we're so in touch with individual identity. And lo and behold, this social culture at the time of recording has a lot of labels and identities and uh, so all sorts of identifications at this point that it becomes confusing to everybody. <laughs> certainly to me at least to the unenlightened portions of my mind so that's it you know everything that strikes you is basically shaping you you know catalyst is shaping you the question is how do you want to shape yourself you want to shape it positive or in the negative conclusions let's try to wrap this up with some practicality again um, so much that we talked about here is very esoteric and requires so many concepts to you know, keep track of. 
But in a practical sense, this is how I would put it. I want to leave you with a practical way to apply all of this. Life, as you open your eyes in the morning or at night, I worked a night shift, so I used to wake up uh, in the afternoon, not at night. But some people may wake up at night, depending on their shifts. When you wake up, you have experience. Your life is experience. The only thing that can describe your life in a very general sense is experience. All that you um, live is experience. Experience is always bringing you a, to varying degrees, ways to serve the creation, let me put it that way. And serving the creation could be, you know, from the people that live with you to the people that you work with or the people that you talk to, um, the friends that you have. Any sort of interaction with the environment is catalyst, if you want to put it this way. How can you shape this grand opportunity that you have to conform more with a positive path? Well, first you need to find out why you want to do it. Is it for selfish reasons? Even if it's spiritual, because you know, if I do this positively, I will become an angel of some sorts in the future and uh, graduate to fourth density. Maybe I, I will even skip fourth density and go straight to fifth. Or maybe I'm a wanderer, you know, and uh, I just want to go back home. Pretty selfish to me. Uh, instead, I would suggest that you realize that um, if you're not any of those identities that I just described and you're just simply nature doing its thing, then what you want is for everybody to be happy, for things to be fine, you know? So I would suggest that the compass here is for you to say, oh, how can I be of better service in this scenario next time, whenever you encounter something? And to me, that is important. That describes a lot the behavior that we seek in this process of spiritual evolution. It's just, how can I become of better service to anybody and everybody at the same time? Just that, just question everything. How can I do this better and better? How can I put this into a better service? That's me, that's just my suggestion. We're gonna still cover more of Catalysts of the Mind uh, in the next episode, but this is as much as I have for now. It's gonna be a two-part because we're halfway done. And we're definitely gonna finish this in two uh, episodes. I have nothing else to say, but thank you so much for listening as always. Um, enjoy whatever you are. Have a good day, good night, and I'll see you in part two of session 93.